Good morning. Welcome to church. It's so wonderful to see all of your beautiful faces. Looks like we have more people coming back. That's great. People hopefully are feeling better. We're so glad to be together today um, in the house of the Lord. I know that God is like, we are the temple, but it's something really beautiful to bring all the temples together and just celebrate the Lord. So I'm going to pray, but I just wanted to welcome you guys, and I'm just so grateful that you're here. Um, I'm going to read this uh, prayer of approach for us together. It says, Jesus, light of the world, as I follow you today, would you illuminate the darkness within me and around me? Show me your presence and your path as I welcome the light of life. Amen. He is the light of life, and we're just so thankful to be here in his presence this morning. So we're going to sing about that light. You can stand with us if you're able, if you'd like. Feel free to uh, just express your worship however you'd like. If you want to sit, if you want to kneel, if you want to come up to the altar, all of those expressions are welcome. We're not going to judge. So whatever is most comfortable for you, but if you'd like to stand, this is your opportunity to do that.
All right. I'm going to read this call to worship to us as well from 1 Samuel chapter 7. It says, Then Samuel took a stone, and he set it up between Mizpah and Shin. He named it Ebenezer, saying, Thus far the Lord has helped us. So, you guys, some of you may have already known this. Some of you may notice that we sing, Come Thou Fount, sometimes. And it says, Here I raise my Ebenezer. So, in case you were ever wondering what that means, I'm going to tell you. Ebenezer is a word that comes from the Hebrew words, and I may not pronounce these correctly, forgive me. Eben Ha'ezer which simply means stone of help. So the Ebenezer is a monumental stone set up to signify the great help that God granted the one raising the stone. So in Robinson's original poem, Come Thou Fount, it figuratively meant that the writer and all who subsequently sing the song are acknowledging God's bountiful blessings and help in their lives. So that's why when we sing, Here I raise my Ebenezer, hither by thy help I come. So we're just acknowledging in that moment, God is our help. We need him, and we are thanking him for all the times that he has helped us and that he is going to continue to help us as we're, like, totally reliant on him. So I just wanted to share that with you guys so that when we're singing it, we know what we're singing and we're meaning it in our hearts. Amen? Let's sing this together.
We're going to sing a new song today, and um, you guys just follow along. If you don't feel comfortable singing along, just listen to the words, meditate on what they mean. There's so many ways to worship. It's not just singing, but in our hearts. So if you're able to sing, please join us. If you're not able to sing, just listen to the words and let them just saturate your heart this morning.
and in an attitude of praise I just invite you to pray with me and don't don't move past this moment in a posture of prayer this morning don't move past this moment where the Lord is moving and speaking Just invite him to continue to speak to us and to continue to move in our midst. Would you just humble yourselves before the Lord this morning and invite him to continue moving in your heart and speaking to you as you come before the Lord, sharing whatever it is that you want to share with him as we move into this time of prayer. This morning we are all about removing the structure and we are just allowing space for the Lord to be here as we offer him wholehearted worship. The Lord is worthy of our wholehearted worship that is not constrained by a schedule or a time frame. But instead, this morning, we acknowledge our incredible need for God to come into this place and do a new thing in us. God, we acknowledge that we are desperate for you to come and move into this place. Do a new thing in my heart, Lord. God, as we sang, our hearts Lord, they are prone to wander. Our hearts misguide us. They deceive us. And it's so easy to focus on things that pull us away from you and your love and your truth and your mercy and your grace. And so God, we are coming back to you. We are redirecting our hearts to you. We are redirecting our minds to you. We are redirecting our eyes, putting them on you, Lord Jesus. Lord, it's in this space that we lay down our lives. We lay down ourselves. And God, we just ask to receive more of you. God, would you just give us more of you this morning? 
Lord, would you draw near and comfort those whose hearts are hurting this morning? God, would you mend and heal the broken relationships that are represented here this morning? God, would you speak to those whose hearts are wandering? God, would you be with those who are far from you? Would you continue to draw them towards you, draw them near to your love and your truth? God, we pray that you would be with those who are sick, be with those who are not with us, but who are with us. God, would you just touch them? We know they're desperate for a healing touch, a physical touch, and Lord, we pray that over them this morning. God, would you be with those who are just struggling? It's probably all of us. Lord, would you just be with those who are who are hurting and who are just desperate for you. Maybe everything is falling apart and they just need you. God, would you give them hope? God, would you just continue to do a new thing in us this morning? Would you just continue, Lord, to move in a powerful way? And God, may we not hinder what you are doing in this place. Holy Spirit, may we not grieve you this morning. May we not push you out, but may we welcome you into this space, into our hearts, acknowledging our incredible need for you again. God, as we open up your word, I pray, Lord, that you would speak to us. Speak to us, Lord. Our hearts are open. We wait for you. We're listening. God, we love you. We thank you for your love that meets us right where we are. We thank you for not leaving us or forsaking us. You're worthy of our worship. You're worthy of our praise. And we offer that to you throughout the remainder of this time, our day, our weeks, and our lives. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray these things. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Are you blessed by corporate worship this morning? Do you feel blessed to be gathered in this space with brothers and sisters, friends, family? It's a blessing to be in the house of the Lord. I just pray that your hearts would just continue to be open to, to what he wants to do in us individually and in us as a body. And we just don't want to rush past that, right? Because this life is just 
about the pace and the speed of just rushing past one thing to move on to the next, right? Isn't that the world we live in now? It'll be a miracle, speaking of miracle worker, it'll be a miracle if I can keep all of our minds focused on a sermon for the next 30 minutes, mine included, because they're likely to wander about, you know, to the next thing that we have to do today or the thing that's looming over us this week or that deadline or that whatever it is. It's a real challenge to keep our minds in one place fixed on Jesus But thank God that even in the midst of the chaos of my mind, as I shared last week, he still shows up in the midst of all of that, right? And so we're just in that tension of, yes, our minds wander. There's a lot going on in there. It's hard to stay focused and fixated, but we don't want to rush past this moment. We wait upon the Lord, and he will renew our strength. He'll give us what we need to keep going. Anybody else desperate for that this morning? I am. I'm desperate for more of his strength. And I just don't want to rush him this morning. So as you just remain in a posture of of worship and of listening, I just pray that this message would speak to you and that it would challenge in one way or another, maybe your preconceived notions regarding worship and what worship looks like and what the Lord uh, is doing in your heart and just who he is to you this morning. Maybe for some of you this morning, he is the way maker. He's making a way when there seems to be no way. Maybe for some of you, he is the, the miracle worker. You've seen him work miracles in your life. We'll talk more about who he is to us later, but, but this morning we are continuing in this series that we started a few weeks ago called Organic Disciples. This series is based on a book of the same title by Kevin and Sherry Harney. Uh, Kevin Harney is a pastor at a church out in California. It's called the Shoreline Church, and he writes books about um, all kinds of things, outreach and, and, and what that looks like in our families and our churches and our individual lives. And so uh, he's just come out with this new book, Organic Disciples. And so that book is, is what's behind this series. And each week, what we've been doing for the past few weeks Uh, We are looking at seven markers of spiritual growth. We're we're pausing each week to look at these seven markers, and we're kind of acknowledging them in our own lives. We're, We're looking inward. We're looking at ourselves, and we're identifying, is this marker, is this in my life? Am I doing these things? Am I open to these things? Am I allowing the Lord to move in these different ways? We've talked about Bible engagement and the importance of knowing the whole story of God, not just snippets, but the whole story, and seeing God in that story. We talked about passionate prayer last week, and how passionate prayer doesn't always just look like structured, silent, alone times of prayer. While that's great and wonderful, and we encourage that, we're not going to stop you know, structuring prayer time in our lives, but we also acknowledge that it's this open-ended conversation with God, and it's just dwelling and remaining and abiding in the presence of God and acknowledging that all throughout the day, with words or without words, right? That's what passionate prayer looks like. And so this week, we're going to continue, and as you probably already know, we're talking about wholehearted worship, 
What does wholehearted worship look like in the life of a follower of Jesus, in the life of a disciple of Jesus? What does wholehearted worship look like for us? What moves us to worship God? That's a question that I just want you to think about as we go throughout the sermon. What is it? What does it look like for you? What does wholehearted worship look like for you? And what moves you to worship God? This morning, we're just going to jump right in. Are you good with that? We're not like easing in this morning. We're just going to dive right in. We're jumping into the deep ends because you might notice the service is just a little bit different this morning. We saved a few songs for the end instead of just one because it just felt appropriate that when we're talking about wholehearted worship that we actually respond, giving ourselves plenty of space to respond in wholehearted worship. That just seems appropriate, right? So so we're just going to dive right in. And each week, We've kind of, the sermon flows through three movements each week. The, move, the first movement, movement one, is learning from Jesus. We, we pause and acknowledge Jesus and the example that he sets for us in these things. Movement two is identifying our own spiritual growth, our, our spiritual journey, our journey of growth. And then movement three is how does this particular thing move me out into the world or lead me out into the world? And so we begin with movement one this morning, learning from Jesus. Although this week is a little bit unique because we're talking about wholehearted worship, and not only did Jesus uh, give himself to wholehearted worship to the Father, but Jesus was God incarnate, God in the flesh, and so Jesus then received wholehearted worship. And that's kind of what we have to begin acknowledging first this morning, is that Jesus received wholehearted worship. He was and is the Son of God. And that fact was known anytime someone came into the presence of God, into the presence of Jesus. And so this morning, we're going to just kind of flow through. We're gonna, I'm probably going to zoom through these really quickly, so uh, these will be on the screen if you want to follow along. But, but we just start off by acknowledging how Jesus received wholehearted worship. And in Matthew chapter 2, this is going to sound familiar to you because we talked about this a few weeks ago on Epiphany Sunday about the Magi and how they uh, were, were pagan astrologers and they followed the stars in order to find this Jesus, this Messiah, uh, who they were just drawn to. They had to find him to worship him, right? And so in Matthew chapter 2, bang, bam, right out of the gate, Jesus is just born. He hasn't even done anything yet. He's just been born. The, The very act of childbirth has drawn in these magi to come and worship him. They travel from afar in the cold, dark night following a star, not having any idea where that star is gonna lead them, and they show up to worship Jesus, a baby, He's done nothing yet except be born, and, and already he's receiving wholehearted worship, right? That's what the Magi do. They come, they bring gifts, and they bow down and worship this baby. Right out of the gate, he receives wholehearted worship. Uh, one of my favorites, and each week we're just kind of talking about a few things. <laughs> this is not all there is in Scripture that acknowledges Jesus in these different markers that we're talking about each week, but we just have to pick a few, right? So just know that. But in John chapter 1, I love this story. This, this feels like a raw, relatable story regarding Nathaniel. And Nathaniel is as a follower of Jesus, but before he follows Jesus, he's real skeptical. Do you, are you, have you been skeptical? Do you know someone who's skeptical? That's Nathaniel, and I just find his story so relatable. 
You see, in John chapter 1, we read that Philip, he comes up to Nathanael and he says, Nathanael, we have found the one, the one that Moses and the prophets talk about. It's Jesus from Nazareth. We found him. And I love Nathanael's honest, raw response. He, he says something along the lines of, Nazareth? Nazareth, this, this man that you're following, the Messiah, he comes from Nazareth? What good can come from Nazareth? Fun fact, that's where we get our name as Nazarenes, right? Church of the Nazarene, we want to be those people. The others say, Nazarene, what is that? <laughs> and they do, don't they? <laughs> they totally do say that. And then that just gives us this opportunity to show them we're, we're, we're from the, the no, nobodies. We're from the, the nowheres, nowhere important. We're just here to serve the least of these, right? And so Nathaniel says, what good can come from another? In other words, you've got to be kidding me. We're going to follow this guy who comes from Nazareth. And you, can, you have to go read through the whole story because I'm just giving you the, the shortened version. But, but then Nathaniel, he comes into the, uh, the presence of Jesus. And Jesus says something along the lines that indicates that he saw Nathaniel before. That he saw him under the fig tree, I believe it was. And Nathaniel is like, hey, wh- how? How did you? What? When? Where? How? And essentially what Jesus is doing is peering into Nathaniel's heart. And he's saying, I saw you. I see you, Nathaniel. I love you. I'm here for you. And in that moment, Nathaniel's response is one of wholehearted worship as he has just acknowledged Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And he says, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel, And I love Jesus' response back to him. He's like, oh, if you think that's good, you just wait. He basically says, you haven't seen anything yet, Nathaniel. And it's a beautiful story. But I just find that story so relatable because sometimes people are skeptical. They're skeptical and they haven't had that encounter with God. But when they do, it changes everything. And the response is only one of wholehearted worship. Another one that's good, and this story is so good that it is told in all four Gospels. And it's the story of the sinful woman that comes and anoints Jesus' feet. And this story is another one that is just raw and real, and she's vulnerable. Like, you have to know the context of this time to know just how vulnerable she was in this moment. This is a, a scripture tells us that this is a sinful woman right? She's a sinful woman. She has a past. She has a history. She's got a name for herself in the town. Everybody knows who she is. They know her story. They know she is tainted. She's broken. She's no good. She is sinful. And guess what? She knows it, right? She knows it. She doesn't need anyone to tell her because she already knows all of this about herself, And knowing this about herself and knowing who Jesus is, hearing about who Jesus is, she can't help it. She has to. She must find herself in the presence of this Jesus who forgives sins, who makes all things new, who redeems us and restores us. And she has to go. She has to go and offer him her wholehearted worship, even though she's not welcome. She's not welcome into this space. Jesus is is dining with men. He's dining at Simon's house and, and a woman is not welcome there. And not only is a woman not welcome there, but especially this woman, this particular kind of woman is especially unwelcome in this space. But she goes. 
she goes, and, and, and one of the things I've always loved about this story is there's no words from the woman. No words. I preached a sermon on this woman one time called No Words Needed because sometimes when you're offering wholehearted worship, you don't have to have words. Sometimes there are no words. And this woman, she comes and she just meets Jesus' feet. She comes to his feet first and she just stops there and she pours out herself. She pours everything she's worth in a bottle of perfume, pours it on his feet and is weeping in response to Jesus and who he is, weeping. And as her tears fall onto his feet, she then wipes his feet with her hair. And I know it's peculiar. It feels odd because that's probably not something that we would find ourselves doing unless, except when you find yourself in the presence of a God who is perfect and who sees you in all of your ugliness, in all of your taintedness, in all of your messiness, and he sees you and offers nothing but love and forgiveness and grace for you, you do things that you never imagined you would do in response, in wholehearted worship. Those are two of the stories that I love as as we look at the life of Jesus and how he received worship. And then we move to to a time after the resurrection. After Jesus has been killed and he is buried, he's dead and buried, and then he is resurrected. And in John chapter 20, Jesus shows up, right? He shows up to the disciples, except Thomas wasn't there. We talked about this last year, remember? And Thomas missed that moment and, and he's hearing about it later. And they're like, Thomas, he was here. He was standing here. Thomas is super skeptical, again, skepticism, and he says, I don't buy it. I'm not buying that. Unless I see and touch myself, I'm just not buying it. And lo and behold, Jesus shows up because he meets us in our doubt, right? He meets us in our doubt. He shows up, and Thomas has no, nothing else to say other than wholehearted worship, my Lord and my God. And in Matthew chapter 28, when the women see Jesus, resurrected Jesus, they fall at his feet to worship him. Later on in Matthew chapter 28, verse 17, Jesus goes to the mountain to ascend, and lots of people are gathering around him, worshiping him. Matthew tells us that that when they were in the presence of Jesus, they worshiped. Some doubted, because it's there, it's real. They thought, I don't know what to make of this, but they worship nonetheless. And then we notice, not only does Jesus receive wholehearted worship, but but we also pause and notice what Jesus says about worship. He says a lot about worship. There's not time to cover it all, but but Jesus points out what I think are are easy traps for us, and, and that's the wrong motivations for worship. What motivates us to worship? And Jesus, in Mark chapter 11, we see that, that when, a, when his house, when his father's house was supposed to be a space where people could come, where all nations could come and gather and have an encounter with God Almighty, and then that place has been turned into a marketplace. It's been used for profit. It's been used for greed. It's been used for fortune and money making. And Jesus, we see how angry he is, and he flips the tables and he says, this, this is not what my father is about. You have taken a place that was meant for worship and you have tainted it. Jesus acknowledged and called out that this is no longer a place about worship. And I just wonder if Jesus were to show up today, what is it that would frustrate him? 
What is it that he would say to us and say, you know what, this was supposed to be a place of worship and no longer is it about worship, it's about blank. What would it be? In John chapter four, Jesus reminds us that it's not about location, that worship can happen anywhere. In John chapter four, we read he's talking to a woman at the well who is confused about the Messiah and about the Jews and about worship. And he tells her, he says, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. A time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers, true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. He wants our true, real, authentic worship. He doesn't want anything fabricated. He wants us to worship in truth. All of this said, Jesus' life was an example of worship. Not only did he receive wholehearted worship, he talked about what worship looks like, but his life itself was an example of wholehearted worship because, you see, Jesus was fully surrendered to God. Jesus lived a life of sacrifice, surrender, and alignment with the will of the Father, and this is the pattern that disciples ought to follow as well. We read about this in Romans chapter 12, right? You know this. You know this passage well. Paul says, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, this This, don't miss this, this is your true and proper worship. Bet you didn't see that coming, did you? You just thought we were going to talk about music and and lifting our hands, right? I bet you didn't remember this right off the bat, that this is what true and proper worship looks like, full surrender. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing, and perfect will. Jesus lived a life of full surrender. As we go into movement too, we acknowledge and and recognize our journey of growth. And there's a lot that we could respond to, there's a lot that we could say, but as we think about worship in our lives, uh, this morning I want us to think about what worship looks like for followers of Jesus, and I want us to think about and acknowledge three things, okay? The first thing is that worship is about God, and it is not about us. Worship is about God, and it's not about us. That means you have to put your personal preferences aside. That means we may not sing all of your favorite songs, but you still ought to come ready to offer your wholehearted worship to God. That may mean that sometimes, maybe, and I can say this because, you know, I'm married to the drummer, one of them, and I can say that sometimes maybe you feel like the drums are just a little loud, right? And you're just like, I can't worship, I can't even think straight. But worship is about God, it's not about us. And in Matthew chapter 15, Jesus has harsh words. As he, as he tells the Pharisees, he reminds them of what the prophet Isaiah would say about them, the Pharisees, the insiders, right? Jesus says, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain, and their teachings are merely human rules. 
You see, I don't know if you know this or not, but we live in a very me-centered, me-oriented society, right? And we're led to believe that, that what matters is my personal comfort, my personal gain. It's all about me. I need it to feel just right. I need it to be just the way I want it. But the true worship that we see in Scripture directs us away from this way of thinking, It directs us away from self-centered thinking and turns it back to God. In his book, Rhythms of Grace, Mike Cosper says this, The story of worship as told in the Bible defines worship in a radically different and surprising way. It's a story that surprises us because we discover that it doesn't primarily feature us. The star of the story is God, who is at the center of all worship. But it's also at its origins in history and at its origin in our hearts. The story of worship, like the story of the gospel, is all about God. We give our focus, our time, our attention, our allegiance to a lot of things. But friends, I'm here to remind you that only the triune God is worthy of your wholehearted worship this morning. Only God, the Father, the creator of heaven and earth, is worthy of your worship, time, and allegiance. Only Jesus Christ, who laid down his life for you, the only one that will ever fully lay down their life for you, by the way, Jesus, who laid down his life for you, who, who lost his life for you and then gained it in resurrection and now lives resurrected King Christ the King, only he is worthy of your worship, time, and allegiance. And it's only the Holy Spirit who transforms and renews our hearts and minds, who is really and truly worthy of our worship, our time, and our attention. Is this true for us? Is this true for us this morning? The second thing I want us to remember and acknowledge this morning, we've already kind of addressed it, is that worship is about surrender. Worship doesn't just... uh, Hear me out. Worship doesn't just look like this in the church building on Sunday mornings, right? This is something we do, but this is not all it is. This can come as a result of a life surrendered, but just know that it's what happens in here that's important. What happens in here is what matters. This comes as a response. This comes from, from just how you might naturally worship, but it's what happens in here. Are you doing this in here? doesn't matter if you're doing it out here, but are you doing this in here? You see, once we acknowledge that worship is about God and it's not about us, it means that we will push anything and everything off the throne, living for God first. That means refusing to submit or conform to the world. And I was reading the book this week and I was reminded, this is a hard reminder, hard truth for us, but guess what? You're going to submit and conform to something. You've heard that before. You're going to submit and conform and worship something. It's either going to be God or anything else. God or or the world. But you're going to worship, submit to, and serve something. And N.T. Wright says it perfectly. He says, the key to it all is the transforming of the mind. Many Christians in today's world never come to terms with this. Ouch. 
They hope they will be able to, to live up to something like Christian standards while still thinking the way the rest of the world thinks. But it can't be done. Having the mind renewed by the persuasion of the Spirit is the vital start of that true human living, which is God's loving will for all his children. He says, for Paul, speaking of of Romans 12, for Paul, the mind and the body are closely interconnected and must work as a coherent team. Having one's mind renewed and offering God one's body are all part of the same complete event. Paul uses a vivid, indeed shocking idea. One's whole self, that's what Paul means by body, must be laid on the altar like a sacrifice in the temple. We don't like that talk, do we? We don't like that language. Don't talk about offering sacrifice in the temple. I don't like that. But he says the big difference is that whereas the sacrifice is there to be killed, the Christian self-offering is actually all about coming alive with the new life that bursts out in unexpected ways once the evil deeds of self are put to death. Once we fully surrender heart, mind, life, everything to God, and this is hard. This is hard, daily, moment-by-moment actions we're talking about. But living a life that is fully surrendered to God is not only your true and proper worship, but it is, do you see the irony that in dying to self is the only way that you're going to be raised and experience new life? It's the only place that new, fulfilling, true life is known. And finally, what I want us to acknowledge and remember this morning is that worship happens in different ways and worship looks different for everyone. And that's okay. We all can get caught up in kind of judging how someone does or doesn't worship. And we can easily start feeling self-conscious about how we do or don't worship. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt self-conscious about raising your hands or not raising your hands? And do you ever get really fixated on what you're doing or not doing and what are people thinking? And, and oh my goodness, back to, back to the beginning, worship is not about us. It's not about what anyone else is doing. It's not about what you're doing. It's about what's happening in your heart. And the response that you have in your heart is not going to look the same as the person next to you. And that's Okay. I appreciate Adele Alberg Calhoun. She says, worship happens whenever we intentionally cherish God and value him above all else in life. Worship reveals what is important to us and the quality of worship emerges from the heart and its focus. That means that worship can happen anytime, anywhere, with, at any place, and it looks different for everyone. For some, it's standing in front of the ocean or in front of a a mountain-scaped scenery, and it's just a heart that bursts out in worship that the God of creation would allow you to see this, right? For some, it's it's looking at artwork. And this one's, I'll admit, it's it's been peculiar to me at times, but, but then I thought about it this week, and I thought sometimes people that look at artwork are moved to worship, and I wonder if that's because Artwork can be so moving that you look at a masterpiece and you think, God, it's amazing that you would create somebody that can create this. 
that, that somebody would create this and that this shows us just how imaginative and how artistic you are. That's worship. Worship can look like lifting one's hands, being a physical symbol of, of surrender and offering one's life and a, living a life of thankfulness and gratitude, but worship can also look like this, where tears are just falling, where a heart is simply being opened and acknowledging what God is doing. Worship happens in different ways and looks different for all of us. Movement three. I can already tell this is going longer than usual. Are you okay? Are we good? I'm going to try. I'm trying to hurry, but I don't want to rush past this. Movement three. How does wholehearted worship lead us to the world? How does wholehearted worship lead us to connect with a world that tends to look at this and think, that's weird, right? That's weird. But, but you see, living every day as a disciple of Jesus, fully surrendered to God's will and aware of God's presence, this is a powerful testimony to the world. And, and we talked about Paul earlier and, and what he says in Romans chapter 12 and in Acts chapter 16, we get a beautiful example of what this looks like in real time, kind of, like a beautiful real-life example of what this looks like. You're familiar with the story of Paul and Silas in Acts 16, right? When they're in prison. The, long, the, short, story, the short version of the story is, is that Paul and Silas are in prison for healing a demonic woman. The nerve, right? The nerve that they would do that. But that's why they're in prison. They caused a ruckus in the town, so they're in prison. And that's only after they've been attacked, stripped, beaten, severely flogged, and then thrown into a prison. And I have a feeling it doesn't look anything like our modern-day prisons. I know it doesn't, right? And just when anyone else in the world, including me, probably, would feel completely hopeless and would be in complete despair because God has surely abandoned me and he's going to leave us here to die, Paul and Silas burst out in songs of praise and worship to God. What is happening? <laughs> what is happening? Paul and Silas, I would, I would understand prayers, right? Uh, okay, fine, prayers, sure. God help us. God, would you just help get it? But praise and worship, not having any idea what's going to happen next. Is this the end or not? What's going to happen? It didn't matter. Worship is what came natural. Worship is what came out. And as the story goes on, this earthquake happens and, and Paul and Silas are set free. The barriers come down and Paul and Silas are set free. And the jailer who had one job, he had one job. And that one job was to keep an eye on Paul and Silas. And make sure that nothing fishy happens. He had one job, and now that's been totally ruined. He, he doesn't know what to do. So he's ready to end his own life, because that's it for him. Once word gets out that he let these guys get away, that's it. He knows what's going to happen, so we might as well get it over with, right? But Paul rushes over to him, and he points him to Jesus. And you see, it's because of Paul and Silas' posture. It's because Paul and Silas were fully surrendered to Jesus and the mission of God. It's because of Paul and Silas' refusal to conform. It's because of their renewing of their minds and their hearts that they would be able to worship God in this horrible situation. And because they did, this jailer saw God. This jailer saw God, and when he saw God... He saw hope. 
He saw that this wasn't the end, that, that, that this didn't have to be the last say. And he tells them, essentially, what must I do to be saved? In other words, I want what you have. You have hope. You have purpose. You have meaning. And I want that. What do I do to get that? And as the story goes on, they take him home. And later that night, he and his whole household are saved and baptized. Thanks be to God. All because of Paul and Silas's wholehearted worship. Friends, the world is still desperate for good news. And the world is still watching Christians. They're watching Christians when your diagnosis is bad. When you get bad news, when you get that phone call, the world is watching you because they're watching to see how you respond to that. And that's not meant to put pressure on you. It's just to remind you that they are particularly watching. What's it going to be when all when, when it seems like the walls are caving in and the sky is falling, when the economy is in turmoil, the world is, they're not going to advertise it and proclaim it loudly, but they're looking at us. And they're looking, what do the hopeful Christians have to say about this? What are the hopeful Christians going to say and do in this situation? And I guess that makes me wonder, church, knowing that the world is looking at us and then knowing that sometimes it does feel like the sky is falling and the, the walls are caving in, what are they seeing? Do they see Christians that are just running and hiding and they're like, I don't know, you, you're, your guess is as good as mine. Or do they see Christians whose hope is deeply rooted in Jesus who isn't finished yet? And that doesn't mean that we don't struggle. That doesn't mean that we don't have hard days. That doesn't mean that those who are worshiping from home this morning are hiding. Hear that. It just means, what is your posture when everything's falling apart? So as we come to a close this morning, here's what I want you to remember. True worship, not about you. It's not about me. It's about God. Worship is, is, happens when we surrender. When we surrender, this is our true and proper worship. And worship looks different for everyone and happens in different ways. And finally, our worship, acknowledging God and his faithfulness, points the world back to Jesus. So this morning, I just want to close with a few questions for you. What is it about God that moves you to worship him today? We've established that he is worthy. He's the only one that's worthy. What moves us to worship him today? What is it that you want to praise God for today? Who is he to you today? Is he your waymaker? Is he your miracle worker? promise keeper? What is it? Who is it? What comes to your heart and to your mind? And listen, I understand we get stuck in the ruts of every day of the everyday mundane. And sometimes it's just hard to know. I don't know, right? Sometimes it's just hard to acknowledge who God actually is to me in this moment. And when you're, when you're stuck in that place, it can be helpful 
to ask questions like, what has God done in my life recently? Because that song tells us that even when we can't see it, he's working. That even when I don't feel it, that means even when I don't get the goosebumps from worship or those warm and fuzzy feelings, right? Even when I don't feel that way, God is still working. So what is it that he's done? What is it that he's doing? How have you seen him move? How have you seen him work? Because he is. What is it that you love about God and how can you respond in worship this morning? I'm going to invite the praise team to come back up. And we're going to respond with with two songs today. And I just want to ask again, what is it about God that moves you to worship him? And please hear me. I'm not trying to fabricate an emotional response from you. I don't want a fabricated emotional experience from us. Okay? I just want us to worship wholeheartedly the only one who is worthy. But to get there, we might have to just pause and acknowledge who he is and what he's done in your life. And I promise you, when you start to think about where you are and what kind of person you are and who God is and what he's done for you, you start to feel really overcome and overwhelmed by his great love and mercy for you. Amen? Is it just me? When I really look in the mirror and see the mess that is me, and then I think about the the overwhelming, never-ending love that God has for me, that'll move me to worship. And friends, it doesn't matter where you are in your relationship with God this morning. Worship can draw you closer to God no matter where you stand. I know last week I made a joke about how we don't have to pray with our eyes closed and how scripture actually never talks about people praying with their eyes closed. So yes, I'm aware of the irony, but I'm going to ask you to close your eyes this morning. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes this morning, mostly because I just don't want you to feel distracted. I really, truly want you to intentionally focus on God and ask yourself, what is it about God that moves me to worship him? Who is God to you this morning? Friends, we're talking about identifying who God is and responding to that truth. Who is he to you this morning? As you have your your eyes closed and you're just taking an inward look, you're looking at your heart, you're considering all that God has done for you. Maybe it's over the whole span of your life. Maybe it was just this week. Maybe it was just this morning. Who is he to you this morning? What has he done for you? And how will you respond in worship? And I want to remind you, as you remain in this posture of worship and prayer and praise, I want to remind you that God loves you. That God is here for you. Tell him who he is to you and thank him for what he's done for you and worship him wholeheartedly. God, this morning we acknowledge 
who you are and just how worthy you are of our praise. God, this morning we come to you with with open and humble hearts, just offering up whatever it is, whatever that praise and worship looks like in our hearts and our minds, that's what we offer to you. God, we praise you this morning. We worship you this morning for being so many things to us. God, we praise you this morning for being our Alpha, our Almighty, and our Advocate. God, we praise and worship you this morning for being the bread of life, our breath, the blesser, and the burden barrier. God, we praise you this morning that you are the creator, you are the conqueror, you are the cornerstone, and you are compassionate comforter. God, this morning we acknowledge that you are our destination. You are our deliverer. You are our defender. You are divine. God, we acknowledge this morning that you are Emmanuel. You are everlasting. You are eternal. You are exalted. You are Father, you are friend, you are fountain, you are forgiving and faithful. You are our guide, you are good, you are great, you're the gate. God, you are holy, you are highest, you are hope, you are healer, you are helper, you are Holy Spirit, you are the I am, you are the incomprehensible, you are the incomparable, you are the invincible, you are Jehovah, you are just you are joy, you are Jesus, you are king, you are kind, you are the lamb of God, you are the Lord, you are the light, you are the listener, you are the Messiah, you are the most high, you are mighty and you are merciful, you are new, you are near, you are the nurturer, you're omniscient, you're omnipotent, you're omnipresent and you're the overcomer. You are the Prince of Peace. You are patient. You are the provider. You are praiseworthy. You are quiet. You are redeemer. You are resurrection. You are refuge. You are radiant. You are rescuer. You are our rest. You are the Son of Man. You are Savior. You are Shepherd. You are salvation. You are the source. You are the sanctifier. You are the triumphant. You are the Trinity, the three in one. God, you are unchangeable. You're understanding. You're unhurried. You're unwearied. You are the vine. You are the vision. You are the victory. You are the way. You are wonderful. You are worthy. You are Yahweh. You are zealous. You are God the Father, you are God the Son, you are God the Holy Spirit, and we love you, we acknowledge you, we offer our lives to you, and we continue to worship you in truth and in spirit this morning. Amen.
Nicole was talking, you guys can keep playing. I was just reminded of this story in Daniel chapter 3 when the three guys, I'm just not going to attempt to pronounce their names, surely you know who I'm talking about. Nebuchadnezzar was like, I'm going to throw you guys in the fiery furnace if you don't bow before this idol. And he said, who is the God that can save you from my hand? And the thing that always stood out to me in their response, they said, yes, our God is able to save us from you. But even if he doesn't, we will not bow and we will not worship another God, even if he doesn't. For those of us who know that story, we know that he did. He was there with them in the fire. And that is the point, even in the fire, he's with us. And real worship happens in the moment when we say, even if he doesn't, even when things are bad, even when our prayers don't feel like they're being answered and we feel like we've been forgotten, even if he doesn't do what we want him to do, even when he doesn't answer the prayer the way we want him to answer it, even when we don't feel it, we will not bow to another God. We will not give our worship away, but we will worship God because he is worthy. Because even if he never saves us again from another thing, he's already paid the ultimate price to save us from eternity apart from him. So if you ask me, wow, he's done enough. And yet he still keeps doing more and more. And we can come to that place where we recognize he's faithful and yes, he's good and he loves us. And he is working all things together for good. And we know that. But when we can say in our hearts, even when I don't understand, even when I don't feel it, even when I don't see it, even if he doesn't do the thing that it seems like he should do, I'm still going to worship him. I want to just take that, do what you will with it. <laughs> We're going to sing this song. It's just a love song. It's a simple love song to Jesus because the thing is that he is not just worthy of our love. He's worthy of our affection and our adoration. And he, like I was so touched when Nicole was talking about Jesus looked at Thomas and said, I saw you. I saw you. And it does blow my mind that that's all it took to make him believe. I saw you under the fig tree. <laughs> and he teases him about it. But imagine if Jesus looked in your eyes and said, I saw you. That's all that Thomas, Nathaniel, that's all he needed to hear. And that's all you need to hear today to draw your heart into worship. He sees you. And Jesus, when you look into his eyes, you are never the same again. And you don't walk away from that thinking, well, he saw me under the fig tree. No, it changes you. So we can just acknowledge today, this morning, that he sees you, each and every one of you. He loves you. And the only natural response that we can have to that kind of love is to just love him. So again, it, this song, we've only done it once. If you don't know the words, feel free to just meditate on the words as we're singing them over you and join in. There's some easier parts that you can join in that are more repetitive. If you're able to sing, please do. But don't feel like just because you can't sing, you can't participate because our heart is where worship happens, not in our mouth, but 
in our heart. And we, we can just sit in his presence and acknowledge the truth of the things that are being said.
Do you love him this morning? Do you know that he loves you this morning? God, we thank you. We thank you for the ways in which you have reminded us of your love. God, I thank you that that you were able to speak to us the message that you wanted to speak to us. God, I thank you that we can come into this place and be encouraged with the fellowship of believers, that we can worship together as a body, as as a group of people who love the Lord and offer our praises up to you. God, this is just a tiny, tiny glimpse of what heaven is going to look like. Where we will just stand forever in your presence, worshiping you an endless song of worship and praise to and for the only one who is worthy. God, I pray that we would take this posture of worship, that we would take it out into the world, and that we would worship not only with our words, with our hands, but God, that we would worship in living fully surrendered to you and only you. On the best days, And on the worst, on the hardest, darkest days, where all we see are enemies, where all we see is trouble and death and grief, God, we will still praise you because you're not finished. You're making all things new. And the world needs that hope. So go before us, walk beside us, and we will continue to offer up our praise and our worship to you. God, we, we truly do, we love you. Jesus, we love you. Thank you for loving us. We pray this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, I just have one thing to share with you before we leave this morning. One announcement. Um, I think somebody else has one that I'm not aware of, but I just was told last minute that somebody else has one. But um, I just want to remind you that baby bottles uh, that we've been collecting change for the Mosaic Pregnancy Center, those are going to be due on Sunday, February 13th. Right, Karen? I have that right? I don't have my notes up here. Sorry. Um, So February 13th, you can bring those before. Like if you have your bottles full, just put them out in the foyer and we'll collect those. But just make sure you bring those in by February 13th. And that's all I have for you. Adam, what's up? No. They're lying. They can't hear you. <laughs> Wait, now? Okay. All right. Now. Okay, well, this may have stuck up on anybody else, but this is, maybe yesterday was the one-year anniversary oh, yep. of Nicole's yes. first sermon. 
kind of crazy it's been a year, but maybe yeah. kind of crazy not. And if I remember correctly, when you guys came last year, about a week and a half later, we had a big snow. I could be wrong, but I think we did. Yeah. I think we may have a snow. It's a very nice gift. Thank you. So <laughs> maybe deja vu again. So we'll just remember <laughs> yeah. every time Nicole's anniversary, we have a big snow. Yeah, so that, hopefully. <laughs> um, anyway, thank you on behalf of the BFCN board and the BFCN church for everything you've done this year, and we hope for many more. So thank you, and here's thank a card you. and a thank gift. You. Thank you. I wasn't going to make anything of it other than just wanted to share, as I was thinking about it this week, because you know the, the memories pop up, and I was just thinking about that this week. So in the bulletin, is just kind of sharing with you what I was thinking about as I thought about you know making this transition one year ago, and it's been great. I won't, you've heard enough from me today. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Love you guys. Appreciate you, and just excited about the days ahead. Okay? So I'm going to invite you to stand with me. It is 12.01, people. (laughs) Brothers and sisters in Christ, you are so loved. You are seen and you are adored. I pray that you would go in the grace and peace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and that you would offer him your wholehearted worship this week. Go in his grace. You are dismissed. Have a great day.